Today's Old Testament reading is from Zechariah chapter 8, verses 11 through 17. But now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts. For there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit, and the ground shall give its produce, and the heavens shall give their dew. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judea and house of Israel, so will I save you. And you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. For thus says the Lord of hosts, as I propose to bring disaster to you, when your fathers provoked me to wrath, and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts. So again, I have proposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judea. Fear not. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render to your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And love no false oath, for all these things I hate, declares the Lord. The word of the Lord. Our psalm reading will be from Psalm 37, 1 through 18. Fret not yourself because of the ungodly, neither be envious of those who are evildoers. They shall soon be dried up like grass, be withered even as the green herb. Put your trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and surely you shall be fed. Delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the heart's desire. Commit your way unto the Lord and put your trust in him and he shall bring it to pass. He shall make your righteousness as clear as the light and your just dealings as the day. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not grieve yourself over the one whose ways prospers, over the one who carries out evil counsels. Let go of anger, but not yourself, lest you be moved to evil. For evil doers shall be rooted out, but those who wait patiently for the Lord, they shall inherit the land. But the meek shall possess the land and shall be refreshed with an abundance of peace. The Lord shall laugh at them in their scorn, for he sees that their day is coming. The ungodly have dropped out the sword and bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy, and to slay those who walk right. Their sword shall go through their own heart, and their bow shall be broken. The For the arms of the ungodly shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Today's New Testament reading will be from Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 32. Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, 
that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with your neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting cock come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. The word of the Lord. The gospel lesson this morning comes from Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. Will you please stand for the reading of the gospel? This is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. When Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do, you why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders, for they do not wash their hands when they eat? He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained for me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And then he called people to him. And he said to them, Hear this and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, that is what defiles a person. And then the disciples came to him and said, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard what you said? He answered to them, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, then both will fall into a pit. But then Peter said to him, Explain that parable to us. 
And he said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth then passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. We're continuing this week in a sermon series on Ephesians. In this passage that we just heard Nathan read to us, Paul is basically giving a series of instructions on how to live the new life that these people have been called into. Let me pray for us as we open God's Word together. Oh, and that reminds me, um, if, uh, if you brought a Bible with you, I would encourage you to follow along. Open up to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 17 through 32, either a paper Bible or an app on your phone. If you don't have a Bible uh, with you, you can take one of the blue ones on the table back there. And if you don't own a Bible, then one of those blue ones on the table back there is yours to keep as our gift. Let me pray. Father, we ask that you would use these words that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus to speak to us today. We know that we are all part of your family, and we know that these words are true for us, and we ask that you would make them come alive in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Sometimes you go into a new situation or a new stage of life, and you have to learn some new rules. I myself have been on both ends of learning new rules a lot of times. Before I became a pastor, I did a career in the restaurant business, and I, I moved around a lot, and people in restaurants change jobs all the time anyway, even if they're in the same place, and so I had a lot of jobs that I had to start. And every single one of them, you go through training. And in that training, people are gonna tell you the ways that we do things around here. One place that I worked at had 28 individual steps of service that you had to do for every single table. And you had to be able to rattle them off if any of your trainers or managers asked. You had to be able to rattle them off like that. And I was a trainer and a manager in a lot of places as well. And so not only was I on the receiving end of a lot of new instructions on how we do things around here, but I also trained a lot of people in how we do things around here. And I cannot tell you the number of times that I found myself saying, really, we hired this guy? Or we thought she was good enough to work here? Because invariably, people will constantly say, when you're trying to tell them how we do things around here, someone will say, well, we, do, we, we didn't do it like that at my old place. Okay, that's tremendous. You know, are, are they still hiring? Maybe you can go get your job back. Because you're not at your old place, you're here. And we do things this way here. Paul was writing to the Christians at the church in Ephesus. Ephesus at that time was one of the, uh, the religious and, and commercial hubs of the Roman world. And if you look at Roman culture, there is a lot to commend it. They had the rule of law. They had a, um, a thriving economy. But if you look underneath that, 
There were things in Roman culture that, that any Roman would do that were just monstrous. There was greed, corruption, the powerful oppressing the powerless. And so when Paul is writing to these people, he's telling them, you're in this new thing now. This is how we do it around here. When you're studying the Bible, and this is a line from one of my favorite Bible teachers, a woman named Nancy Guthrie. When you're studying the Bible, it's always good to realize that the whole of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is Christ-focused. It's not me-focused. The Bible is not about me or about you. It's about Jesus. And so when we study the Bible, we don't, wanna, we don't just want to turn it into an intellectual pursuit, right? It's not just knowledge for knowledge's sake. Like it has no impact on our actual lives in a, like a Monday through Saturday kind of way. But we can't read the Bible just immediately trying to say, hey, where am I in this story? What does this have to do with me in my life? How can I apply this? Although sometimes there are specific passages in the Bible, like the one we're looking at here in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32, where Paul is literally saying, Here's how you apply this to your life. The important thing to remember is that this passage in Ephesians 4 comes right after Ephesians 1 and 2 and 3. And in those chapters, Paul was talking about the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God to undeserving sinners. He was talking about the absolute centrality of the life, death, and resurrection and reign of King Jesus in everything that we do. And so we have to ask ourselves every time we read any single passage of the Bible, what does the life and the death and the resurrection and the reign of Jesus Christ have to do with how I understand this passage? And a passage like this, it's incredibly important because this sounds like a lot of rules. And it is. But it's all based on the foundation of what Christ has already done for us. The rules and regulations that he's talking about here are all based on a good and gracious God who became a man in order that mankind might find a pathway back to God. So, let's walk through this together, these rules that Paul is laying out for the new life that this community has in Christ. He says in verse 17 that he's, he's giving this to these people because he doesn't want them to walk in the way of the Gentiles. That is, in the way of the, the Roman culture that these people would have been surrounded with, which looks great on the surface, but underneath has so many problems and so many ways that are far from the way that God has told his people to live. He says in verse 18 that, that these people that don't know God are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They don't know how to act because they don't know God. It's just that simple. But, he's saying, you, you Ephesian Christians, you collective covenant family in this little church in Ephesus, you do know God. And so, therefore, you're no longer ignorant of how to live the life that God calls us to live. Verse 19, they've become, they've become callous, these people who don't know God. They've become callous, and they've given themselves up to sensuality, they are greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Callous and given over to every kind of sensuality, greed, and impurity. If you think about that, 
that is pretty much the opposite of how Jesus lived. And so, Paul is saying that is the opposite of how we must live. Because if our life is called to be a life where we follow Christ, then our life is called to be a life where we imitate Christ. Jesus was not callous. Callous means hard-hearted or belligerent. Jesus was sensitive, humble. Jesus was not given over to every kind of greed or impurity. He was upright and resolute, able to resist temptation when it comes along. And the important thing to remember is that when we are in Christ, that not only are we called to live that way, but we are also empowered to live that way. We are able to live that way. God has given you the ability to do that. And hear me, none of us, not one person, is capable of resisting every kind of sensuality, greed, and impurity every single time that it comes along. But we have the ability to call on God for the power to do that. We have the ability to call on God when we fail to do that and say, I sin. I've fallen short of what you told me to do. And we have the knowledge and the comfort that God will forgive us because of Jesus. There's a, a strain of Christianity that says, well, you know, we're all just huge messes. And thank God that he seems to love huge messes because that's all we are and it's all we'll ever be. But transformation in this life is possible. Growth in spiritual maturity is possible. And adhering to the life that God calls us to live is possible. And we will all fall short. And we will all sin. And we will all fail to do the things that God calls us to do. But that doesn't mean that it's impossible and that we never can. And that we can't grow into the maturity that, that allows us to do that. I mean, look at, look at the example of Paul himself. This is a guy, the Apostle Paul... In Acts chapter 8, before he became a servant of Christ, he was ravaging the church of Christ. He was a Pharisee. And so he was so convinced of the he was so convinced of the rightness of his position that this new thing called Christianity was just a, a heresy of Judaism. He was so convinced of this that he was committing violence on the church of Christ. He was going from house to house, dragging people out of their house. He was, he was present and condoning the stoning of Stephen. He was a bad guy. And he went right from being this bad guy to now being this guy who's writing a letter telling people how they live this new life that Christ has called them to. And the reason that he was able to do that is because he learned Christ. He has taken off his old self. He's put on his new self. This is, this is in verse 22. He says, put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of your life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on your new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So, the rules that we follow in this new life that we are called to. Why do we do this? We follow these rules because it says we are members of one another. We are members of one another. We are one. 
We share one body. We are one body. We share one bread. We say this every week. Remember back when we were talking about how Ephesus was before, before Christianity came to it? There were some dispersed Jews there, but there were also a ton of Gentiles. And Paul was making Christian converts out of both of them. So most of the Gentiles there would have grown up in a culture, in a lifestyle, where, where Paul's commands don't make much sense. And it would have seemed that he was calling them to almost a whole new pattern of life with each other. And the reason it would have seemed that way is because he was. But I, I wonder how many of the Jews would have been able to hear echoes of their own teachings in this way that Paul is calling us to live with one another. Because God has always only had one covenant family and only one way that he calls his people to live. And so for the Jews, it's likely that some of them had forgotten the ways that God called his people to live. Just like Jesus spoke about to the Pharisees, that you have forsaken the commandments of God to follow the traditions of men. Because all of the things that Paul is saying are found in the Old Testament as well. God always calls his covenant people to put aside their worldly desires and to live in harmony with one another. He always calls his covenant people to put off their old self and put on their new self. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. There it is. We are one. We are unified. And so I can no more harm you than I would do harm to myself. And this is taken almost directly from the Zechariah passage that we heard. Zechariah 8.16, it says, These are the things that you must do. Speak truth to one another. Render in your gates, that's render in the city that you live in, render in your gates judgments that are true. And make peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another, and, and be lovers, do not be lovers of false oaths. For these are the things that I hate, declares the Lord. And so, Paul is just echoing what God has been telling his people that we are to be truthful with one another because we are one, because we are all members of one body. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. It's a fascinating phrase, be angry and do not sin. We heard a version of this in Psalm 37 that we all just said together. There's another version of it in, in Psalm 5 and Psalm 4, verse 5. It, it actually says, be angry and do not sin. It says, ponder in your own hearts on your ponder your own hearts on your beds. Which is kind of a nice different it's, it's a slightly different take on don't let the sun go down on your anger. Think about what you're doing as you're laying in bed. The phrase do not let the sun go down on your anger is often used in the context of good marriage advice. And it is. It, it is good marriage advice. I myself have used this in premarital counseling with couples. And there have been songs and, and even whole books written about the idea of how we can live out Don't Let the Sun Go Down in Your Anger as a cornerstone of a healthy marriage. And as someone who struggles with anger, I can tell you that this is excellent marriage advice. But it's not just marriage advice because... We're going to get to this later on in Ephesians when Paul gives specific commands to husbands and wives of how they can live with each other well. But this is written to the whole church. Single, married, widowed, whatever. This is how we are all called to behave with one another. It's not just in your home. It's with all of us. 
Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Be angry and do not sin. So, is all anger sinful? Because it would seem that Ephesians is saying no. Be angry and do not sin. And you actually see this throughout the Bible. We see that God himself gets angry. Jesus gets angry. There's a whole category of anger called righteous anger, and it itself is not sinful. It's proper that we get angry at injustice and oppression and deceit. However, when we get angry, there can be one of two responses to that. You can channel that anger in constructive ways that seeks to, to right the wrong. Or you can channel that anger in destructive ways that only seeks to feed that anger or nullify that anger. Basically, it's, you, know, you, get, you get mad at your boss and you go home and you kick the dog. Or you're angry because your feelings were hurt. And so to, to satisfy that anger, you lash out at another person. But if we truly are members of one another, then lashing out at that other person is not only destructive to the other person, but it is destructive to us as well. And, and this is the key, it's destructive to us as a whole. It's destructive to the body. We are not, despite what our culture tells us today, we are not, each of us, individual little kingdoms that are all just rolling around on the earth and occasionally bump into one another. We're not just little islands of autonomy. We are members of one another. And how I treat you not only affects you, but it affects me as well, and it affects all of us. So be angry and do not sin. When we have the mind of Christ, we are capable of reflecting on that anger and channeling it into constructive ways. When we have the mind of Christ, we are capable of seeing that we are angry and repenting of it if it's sinful, of contemplating it when we're sitting on our bed, of going to God with it and saying, I am angry at this person, Lord. Please forgive me and take this from me. Be angry and do not sin. And then it says, let the thief, let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone who is in need. And again, it's the same idea as the last thing. When, when we take from one another, when we steal from one another, we harm the entire group, not just the person that we're stealing from. And so Paul here is not just saying to cease doing something negative. He's actually doing the same thing that Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount, where he not only states, don't do this negative thing, he turns it into a positive as well. So when we take off this old self that we had before we knew Jesus, we don't just go neutral. We don't just become a blank slate. We actually add something positive as we start to follow Christ. When we accept our status as members of this covenant family, we add positive things rather than just taking away negative things. So, rather than just don't steal, it's important that Paul said this, let the thief no longer steal, but let him do honest work so that he can have something to share with anyone who is in need. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Again, things that break down the cohesion of the whole group. Do you want to know why the Bible goes out of its way so often to talk about gossip and slander and how evil and wicked they are? 
is because those things are incredibly detrimental to the body as a whole. And those are the kind of things that are unseen. In any kind of group or society, you can, you can see how things are on the surface. You can't always see gossip and slander. Those are the things that go on behind closed doors. Those are the things that tear down the cohesion of the whole group. And let no corrupt, I'm sorry, and do not grieve, verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you, and it means here y'all, by whom y'all were sealed for the day of redemption. You were sealed for the day of redemption. You were made holy. You were set apart. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. What is one of the things that we see in Scripture that the Holy Spirit loves to do? He binds us together. He binds us together through Christ. The church has cohesion because of the work of the Holy Spirit, not for anything that we do. And it grieves the Holy Spirit when we don't behave like that's true. And then Paul gives us a final reminder in verse 31. He says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And this is the key. And this is why he keeps returning to this over and over in the book of Ephesians. Remember, all the commands that we are given only make sense if we are truly living in the light of what God has already done for us. It's the basis for everything. God gives commandments after he blesses. If we believe that we are already forgiven and redeemed, then it makes putting aside bitterness and malice and slander possible. It can be really embarrassing to have to approach somebody and say, I was wrong. I am sorry. It takes an act of humility, and it takes serious guts to go to somebody and say, you didn't even know that I did this because you weren't there, but I was talking badly about you to somebody the other day. It was wrong, and I am sorry. They didn't know that I had done it, and I ended up looking a lot worse in their eyes because of it. I didn't have to say anything. They would have never known. But I remind myself that I'm able to do this. I'm able to go and repent and make peace with somebody for something that they didn't even know that I did. I'm able to do that because I know that in Christ, I am already reconciled to God. And I know that if my friend now, sadly, has a more accurate picture of who I am, that doesn't redound to the immediate worldly benefit for me, but that doesn't matter, right? Yes, I now look worse in their eyes because they have a more accurate picture of who I truly am. And so that means that my relationship with them is going to be tougher, and it means that my relationship with a few other people that they know might be tougher. But that's okay. Because nowhere here does Paul say that living in this new way, living in this, taking off the old self and putting on the new self, nowhere does Paul say that this will make us prosperous and successful and contented. It's the cohesion of the body and the building up of the whole group that's in view here. And that means 
that we need to behave like Jesus, that we humble ourselves for the good of others because we are one body and we share one bread. And so if I have to go to my friend and say, I have been angry with you for months and months because of something that you did, and it has affected the way I deal with you and the way that I talk about you, and I'm very sorry, and would you please come over to my house for dinner tomorrow night? If I have to do that, it might very well blow up in my face. There is no guarantee that it is going to work every time. And I might never be around to see the good that it did to that other person if they're not talking to me anymore. But I know that I was living in the way that God calls me to live, and I know that he is going to take my actions and use them for his greater glory and for the building up of his own church, even if I never see the result of it. In the first half of the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about pursuing unity because it leads to holiness. And now he's talking about pursuing holiness, pursuing the life of Christ, pursuing holiness because it leads to unity. This is not your old job. We don't do things here the way that they did at your last job, Paul is saying to the Ephesians. This is the new life that God calls us to live as part of his covenant family. And it's rich, and it's full, and it's hard sometimes. But we get to walk in it because it's true, and it's real, and it's the thing that constantly leads us back to Christ when we forget, when we forget our way. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would, as you have done so mercifully this last year, that you would continue to build this church up in unity. Lord, we ask that you would show us ways that we have not followed your, your rules about how we do things around here. God, we thank you for Jesus, that through him that we have forgiveness for those times when we fall short, that you will draw us back to you. The sins that we commit are already covered in the shed blood of Christ on the cross. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.